Morena, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. This is my daily podcast that goes out with my email newsletter via my Substack, the Kaka, to paid subscribers. And it's designed to try and document and explain what's going on in the global and local political economy in a way that um, sheds some light on what's going on with housing unaffordability, climate change inaction, and child poverty reduction. Today I wanted to have a look at what's happening in the European financial system and in the European economy. Overnight, the European Central Bank, which is pretty much the second biggest in the world after the US Federal Reserve, decided to increase its main interest rates for the first time in 11 years. Now, it did this by increasing its main deposit rate, so that's a bit like the equivalent of our cash rates, by 50 basis points to, wait for it, 0.0%. (laughs) Yes, Uh, you may ask, how on earth is that possible? Well, for the last eight years, the European Central Bank has had a negative deposit rate. That means that banks have put money with the European Central Bank and every year the European Central Bank has, instead of paying the banks money, an interest rate for having the money on deposit with the European Central Bank, the banks instead have paid the European Central Bank money, 0.5% per year, for the privilege of putting their money with the European Central Bank. The idea, of course, is that if you're paying effectively a negative interest rate to have your money with a bank, then uh, you are encouraged to lend that money out to try to get the economy going again, to invest in businesses and get jobs going that increase the heat in the economy and get inflation back up again. For more than a decade, the Europe European economy has been very weak and effectively has had inflation below its targets from almost all of that time. But of course, the European financial system and the European economy now faces a completely different world. After the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the breakout of inflation all over the world. For the last 15 years, central banks have been printing money hand over fist And for almost all of that 15 years, they got away with it, so to speak, in that it didn't create that much inflation. Well, COVID and the Ukrainian war has ended that. And those big piles of cash that have been mounting for 15 years, a total of about $24 trillion printed by the world's central banks, has apparently caught fire. So we now have inflation running in Europe at 8.7%. Remember, it's supposed to keep inflation around about 2%. And for much of the last 15 years or so, it has been below 2%. And so far below that the European Central Bank felt confident to effectively print money to buy European government bonds to push down longer term interest rates to stimulate the European economy even more. Now, this was quite convenient, particularly during the 2012 European financial crisis, often known as the European debt crisis, 
Back then, there was real concerns that the eurozone would break up, that the euro, a currency that uh, most European countries use, not Britain, of course, but certainly the largest economies in Europe use, is a common currency without common government fiscal policy. Now, that's important because a currency is, in effect, a sovereign tool that reflects the economic outcomes in each particular country. And it's often closely linked to what's happened with the government's finances. If the government's running a really big deficit and has an enormous amount of debt relative to the size of its economy, often financial markets will cut that currency, which helps cushion the blow of that problem in that economy's uh, finances and with its, its economy. However, the Eurozone has a fundamental problem, which is that it has a common currency, but does not have common fiscal policies. And this came to a head in 2012, when initial concerns about the Greek economy, which has an awful lot of debt, but uses the Euro, spread to the likes of the Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, and at least for a period, the Irish economy. These groups of mostly Southern European Countries had very high debts, often over 100% of GDP. To give you an idea, New Zealand's and Australia's uh, net government debt to GDP is uh, under 30% uh, around about. And uh, this euro crisis in 2012 saw the European Central Bank, then run by a guy called Mario Draghi, an Italian banker. He was the president back then. It prompted him and the European Central Bank to effectively uh, create money to buy European government bonds, and in particular, Italian and Spanish and Greek government bonds, to effectively push up the price of those bonds, which pushes the yield down. Remember, price goes in the inverse direction to yield for bond or fixed interest securities. And that helped of uh, uh, calm down the European financial system and essentially ended the European debt crisis. And Mario Draghi, he sometimes referred to as Super Mario because of this, he said in 2012 that the ECB would do, quote, whatever it takes to keep the Eurozone going. And that turned out to be the European Central Bank using its powers to buy those Southern European bonds to the point where most of the bonds issued, or the debt raised by those European governments, southern European governments over the last decade or so, has effectively been bought by the European Central Bank. So that calmed everything down for a decade or so. Now we're in a different situation where inflation is a problem and the European Central Bank can't use low inflation as its excuse for doing its various rescues of southern European governments, and in effect, their banking systems. Because remember, a bank usually holds a lot of government bonds as its main backstops or liquidity to ensure confidence in their banking systems. So there's a really big problem when the government bonds that a bank holds drop sharply in value. In effect, a collapse in a government's debt markets 
in particular its government bonds, will often overflow into a crisis in that, com- in that country's banking system. And that's certainly the case in Italy in particular, where Italian banks have been notoriously weak and they have a lot of Italian government bonds and a sharp collapse in Italian government bond prices would cause all sorts of grief for the Italian banking system. And uh, for various, at various points, the European Central Bank has also been acting to support those Italian banks. Now, the concern here is that Italy is in deep trouble again. It has a pretty flat population, a weak economy and high government debt and periodic political crises where there's no one in charge and no one's able to really get that debt under control. For the last couple of years, Italy has had relative stability under, you guessed it, Super Mario, who has been the Italian Prime Minister for the last couple of years in a slightly weird but very Italian coalition that involves a collection of parties, including the so-called Five Star Party, which is a populist, broadly left-wing party created during the crisis, actually, by an Italian comedian called um, uh, Mr. Beppi. Um, And uh, this is... This government has just collapsed. So last night, uh, Mario Draghi formally resigned as the Italian Prime Minister. The President dissolved Parliament and there will be elections coming up. This instability in the Italian political system has overflowed into instability in the Italian financial system. And in today's email newsletter, I go into quite a bit of depth about what's going on in the European financial system and why we should care here down in Australia and New Zealand. Firstly, uh, uh, the European Central Bank has finally followed on from uh, the the rest of the world's central banks and tightened monetary policy. Now, this is the um, key moment because it puts those banks and financial markets under stress. Rising interest rates are not something an entire generation of bankers and fund managers and traders have ever seen before. Now, they've been expecting it, but the rise last night of 50 basis points to the shockingly high 0.0% was twice as much as people were expecting. They were expecting 25 basis points and they got 50 basis points. Also, the European Central Bank had uh, uh, prepared the market for a 25 basis point hike, but because inflation is so out of control in Europe, uh, uh, not helped, of course, by what's happened in Ukraine, then uh, that is um, going to put stress on the uh, European financial system. And that flowed over into the Italian bond markets in particular. And I've included a chart and the detail of what's happened to a key indicator of European financial stress, which is the spread between the Italian government bond yield and the German government bond yield, sometimes called the Bund. And the key one is the 10-year spread. And that, over the last day or so, has risen about 15 basis points to around 229 basis points. So that means Italian government bond yields are 2.2 percentage points higher than German government bond yields. It's an indicator of how fearful people are are that Italy's government might, in theory, default on its debt 
And when you're an Italian investor or a German investor or, in fact, anyone in the world and you're worried about this, the first thing you do is shift your money out of Italian bonds and put them into German bonds because the German economy is obviously the biggest and seen as the strongest in Europe. And if there is some sort of breakup, you want your money in German bonds, not other types of European bonds. So that spread uh, when it widens, that shows that there is real fear about a European financial crisis. And generally, the red line for this fear index or measure is 250 basis points. Well, it got to 229 last night. And over the last year, it's been rising in anticipation of this problem. And uh, this is an important thing to watch because at the same time as the European Central Bank put up its main deposit rate or tightened monetary policy, it also announced the creation of a new bond buying tool. And remember, bond buying, quantitative easing, uh, can be used to effectively print money and uh, buy government bonds to effectively create money to uh, fund government deficits. And the reason that the European Central Bank has had to do this is because these underlying stresses in the European financial banking and economic systems never really went away. They were effectively euthanized by the European Central Bank's power to print money. And now those concerns are back. Effectively, the southern European economies, in particular Italy, it, it is fundamentally weaker than the northern European economies, particularly Germany. And that is a real problem when you have a single currency but multiple fiscal policies. They really need to match up or you've got a fundamental problem with your currency. So uh, this um, surge in the spread is an indicator of stress. And when that happens, the European Central Bank can now, with its new defragmentation tool, sounds like a grenade, doesn't it, a defrag, it has now got the power to buy heavily uh, Italian government bonds and Greek government bonds and Spanish and Portuguese government bonds, while at the same time, in theory, it's putting up interest rates, short-term interest rates. Now, overnight, the new president of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, uh, said that this tool, this defragmentation tool, this bond buying tool, would be unlimited in scope. So in effect, she has said what Super Mario said in 2012, which ended the euro crisis, which is, he said he would do, quote, whatever it takes to steer down financial markets. And he won last time. But back then, there was no inflation problem in Europe. Now, there is an inflation problem. So the point of today's podcast, and you may be wonder, wondering why on earth he's taking me into the bowels of the European financial system, is to say when there are problems in the world's second largest economy, at the same time as problems in the world's largest economy, and actually the third largest economy, depending on how you measure economies. Um, the Eurozone technically is a bunch of different economies, but uh, obviously it's got the same currency. So it goes America, Eurozone, China. So America um, is currently running reasonably hot and has the same inflation problem, but its central bank has already started hiking rates and is actually uh, the economy there is slowing down. 
And overnight, we got some fresh signs of that. There were slightly higher than expected US jobless numbers, i.e. people filing for unemployment insurance, and also uh, one measure of factory activity on the east coast of the United States uh, showed a second month of contraction, and that was worse than expected as well. So we've got the US economy slowing down, potentially into a recession later this year. We've got the European economy in all sorts of grief because of massively higher gas prices, thanks to uh, Russia's use of uh, restrictions on gas supplies through Nord Stream 1 to push up European gas prices. Fears that uh, further restrictions on those gas supplies would cause a recession in Germany spreading through the rest of Europe. And so we have the world's biggest economy headed for recession, the world's second biggest economy headed for recession, and China, the world's third biggest economy, having all sorts of problems with COVID because it has an elimination strategy. And just overnight, the Shenzhen government, so this is 18 million people in the southern province of China, the one that abuts Hong Kong, the one with all sorts of manufacturing facilities, iPhone-making plants, a big part of the global uh, supply chain system. It uh, announced that it had a bunch of COVID cases and was shutting down various buildings and implementing mass testing. It's not at the um, dire situation that Shanghai was in back in March, April, but we've got to keep an eye on it because... Unlike uh, in New Zealand and Australia, where elimination strategies were effectively given up last year because um, Delta and Omicron were too infectious for it, and we have democracies where politicians eventually give in to the desires of the people, uh, China doesn't have that. Uh, and Xi Jinping has really staked his uh, political reputation and uh, strength as a leader on COVID elimination. And in November, it's expected there's going to be a big conference of the Chinese Communist Party where he is expected to be uh, formally uh, knighted or uh, named as effectively leader for life in China. And the theory is he will retain elimination until at least November. Also, at the same time, there's a very slow a vaccination program going on, particularly for elderly Chinese uh, people, and uh, that's nowhere near finished. So COVID elimination is causing all sorts of grief for the Chinese economy. It actually contracted in June, and there are fears it might actually fall into a recession uh, in the middle of this year and certainly fail to meet its official growth forecasts for 5.5%. So there we have it. The global economy is headed towards recession. It's got an inflation problem at the same time. There are certainly global uh, financial stresses in the system. And in Europe, those stresses look like they're becoming much more intense. Now, why does that matter for us? Well, higher interest rates, which is often what happens when you have intense financial stress, are um, something that uh, those people who are borrowing or saving uh, have to care about. And also, if you have a slowdown in the global economy, that tends to take some of the inflation stress out of the system, which means, paradoxically, that in the longer term, interest rates would be lower than would otherwise be expected. Now, in the past, in the last decade or so, whenever we've had one of these crises, financial crisis, global financial crisis, 2008, 2009, Euro crises, a couple of them, 2010, 2012, and then, of course, COVID uh, 2020. 
the usual response from central banks is to just uh, turn on the money printing and rescue every bank and investor in the world and lower interest rates, which in turn increases asset values. From a New Zealand and Australian point of view, that meant significantly higher house prices. Now that interest rates are up and inflation is a problem, central banks may find it harder to simply rescue everyone when things get tough. And that's why I've spent quite a bit of time talking about this European situation. However, um, my basic view doesn't change here that the inflationary pressures that we're seeing are still temporary. As long as the Ukrainian war doesn't get a lot worse or that there isn't some sort of brand new strain of COVID which causes massive lockdowns, then the deflationary pressures that have underpinned the global economy for 30 years will come back. And the best example of that is a piece of news that I've included in the email newsletter today from the United States, where Amazon has announced it is buying a company called One Medical for 4.6 billion US dollars. It's a company that operates uh, telehealth, online doctors, uh, various tools for people to get medical services online. And um, my view is that the global economy globalized in products uh, as China and Eastern Europe uh, came into the global workforce from about 1990 onwards, but really from 2000 onwards when China joined the World Trade Organization in earnest. And that helped drag down product prices and uh, kept uh, inflation low because effectively a whole bunch of new labor was added to the market. And that kept uh, labor costs under control and big efficiencies and the gains from trade helped uh, keep inflation low and uh, growth going, particularly in those developing economies. And the theory is, you know, that process has ended and now we've got an inflation problem. Well, remember that 60% of developed economies' activity is services, not products. Services like health, uh, education, financial services, tourism, uh, restaurants, uh, those sorts of things. Now, we've seen only, we've only scratched the surface of the globalization of those services sector as many tech companies look to effectively suck those services sectors out of the local economies and put them into the cloud in the process slashing prices and reducing the need for labor. You only need to think of Uber, uh, Netflix, Airbnb, where services sectors, taxis, movies and uh, travel have been transformed by the evaporation of those services sectors into the cloud. And one area where there hasn't been that much evaporation yet is in medical services. But increasingly, as we get better devices for measuring things like heart rates and breathing and temperature and all sorts of things, and it becomes much easier to use your phone to get information to have consultations, to do all the things that previously meant going into a hospital or a medical centre, uh, expensive things, and being able to do them much more cheaply via your phone. Not always, of course. <laughs> we haven't found a way, an app, to do a piece of surgery, but, you know, stranger things have happened. And so this continuing uh, drumbeat of deflationary pressure has only really be just begun in the um, global economy. 
So I wanted to point that out um, and to um, uh, back up my fundamental view that inflation uh, is not a permanent thing, that it is still transitory. And as the global economy sinks closer towards recession and these fundamental forces of the globalization of services and still weak labor power in the global economy, they will reinforce um, these continued moves by central banks to eventually return to the bailouts and the money printing, which kept asset owners whole and banking systems safe. However, uh, if the inflation doesn't drop and central banks don't have that excuse, then all bets are off. So it really depends on your view on inflation. I'll leave it there. Uh, that was a fun old trip through <laughs> the global financial markets and in particular the European financial system. I hope it was fun anyway and that you're still with me. I'd like to thank the paid subscribers to the Kaka for uh, allowing me to do this sort of uh, work. And uh, and if you're listening for the first time, um, come and join us in the community. Uh, pay for a subscription and uh, we'd love to see you. Ka kite ano. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka.